Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 12th ever episode of the Movie Hunters podcast. Today, Noah finishes his series on the Planet of the Apes. I talk about WrestleMania 35, and I review the new movie Shazam. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Hunter, alongside your other host, Noah Hunter, and it's time to go movie hunting. everyone and welcome to the movie hunters podcast a podcast where two movie loving brothers get together talk about movies tvs maybe even wrestling all things cinema really noah how's it going it's going good how's it how's it going on your end it's going it's going i'm uh i'm chilling laid back laid back in the cut jet flying limousine riding Kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing. Son of a gun. So, let's get into our first story. <laughs> right into it. Uh, we're not playing around this episode, guys. Uh, this is a serious one. And our first story is Idris Elba will not be playing Deadshot. Um, if you don't know who Deadshot is, uh, like Jason doesn't know. Ooh, what I is, know, he, <laughs> he is the character that Will Smith played in the the awful Suicide Squad that that came out in 2017, 2016, whenever that came out. Anyways, in the new one that James Gunn is directing, Idris Elba will not be playing Deadshot. He will be playing another character. We don't know who, and this is rumored to be. You know, maybe they didn't consider the disrespect towards Will Smith to, uh, you know, bring someone else to bring, to play him. Or what be, you know, what happening. There's also been rumors about Joel Kinnaman and Viola Davis coming back to play their respective characters they played in the first one. What do you think of this news? Um, and what do you think? Last time news came up and they added all those characters that you you enjoyed and, and laughed at. But uh, what do you think about them taking out Deadshot from this movie? Uh, first of all, your internet's really bad this week. <laughs> Second of all, yeah. Mm. Second of all, um, I'm glad he's not playing Deadshot, uh, especially if they're bringing back other characters from the first movie, because I don't want him to just be a stand-in for Will Smith. Uh, so I'll be interested to see who he plays. Maybe he'll get to be more of himself in this rather than trying to be, again, just a replacement for somebody who's already played the same role. Uh, I'm not sure who he could play. Um, I'm assuming he's still going to be the lead in this. So Yeah, lovely. Maybe what he'll play of- Condiment Man. <laughs> what do you uh, what do you think about Joel Kinnaman and Viola Davis coming back? What do you think of their their roles in in the first Suicide Squad? I didn't think they were good in the first Suicide Squad. Uh, Viola <laughs> Davis was alright. Joel Kinnaman, I didn't like. I didn't like the character that Viola Davis played, like her motiva- motivations and the things she did. But as an actress, I thought she was alright in it. But 
<clears throat> in the hands of a different writer and a different director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a problem with them coming back. Joel Kinnaman has been in stuff I, I liked before, and I've liked his performances in other projects. So um, seeing as we have a different person at the helm, I'm fine with them coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a completely different team that's doing this this whole thing. So uh, a lot of the issues with the first Suicide Squad were the the writing and, and just the story. Um, so I think the, a lot of the fault wasn't on Kinman and Davis for the characters they played. I think they'll be written a lot better. Um, so them coming back, I don't have a problem with. I think it it will be better known no matter what, no matter who is going to play it. So it'll be interesting. And it, it'll be cool to see who they actually do give to Idris Elba. Like you said, I think it, it'll feel more like Idris Elba's character now rather than just a stand-in for Will Smith, like you said. So I kind of – I'd like to hear that. And I'm trying to get away as much as possible from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be like they're doing more and more with, with the new characters and maybe Kinnaman and Davis come back and play different characters. Who knows? But I think if they're going to bring them back, they'll be as the same, same characters. Yeah, probably given on what they were and who they were in the, in the original movie. But with that being said, from uh, one franchise to the other, as we've been doing for the past, what, we're in episode 12, so the past 12 weeks. Um, the endgame box office tracking numbers have finally started to come in. Deadline. I didn't tell you this number because I want to get your reaction. The record, if endgame were to ring in 260 million domestically, it would break the all-time record. It would break Infinity War's record. It is tracking at, and this is an early estimate, so it's a rough estimate, all the way up to three hundred million, and that's not mm. that's not all. Um, this is also opening up the same day in China and other worldwide countries. So this weekend, my it might make a billion worldwide. Hearing those numbers for the first time. Do you think that this is a long shot? Do you think, do you hear 300 million and like, yeah, I expected it? Where are you at um, with your predictions for this opening weekend? I think that if it does 300 million, it'll be a colossal disappointment. No, I'm just kidding. That's going to be insane. Uh, the more, the closer and closer we get to it, the bigger and bigger it begins to loom. Um, I don't know that it will hit 3 million. That seems like a little, I mean, that seems like pie in the sky type numbers, but uh, I think it'll probably break the record. Um, Mm -hmm. And with it being released worldwide all at once, I think that's only going to help it. Did you happen to see the clip that came out today? No, I did. I was hearing about it. I never got around to watch it. Man. What you think about it? They, they've hit a point of diminishing returns on this marketing stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, the first two trailers were good. The third one felt unnecessary. Yeah. And now this clip is like, ugh, 
Captain Marvel. The big problem with it is that Captain Marvel still doesn't seem like a good character. She still seems like the same way that she appeared in her solo film, and she's like comes into this and she's arrogant and she's she's. They're saying, "Well, what makes you think this plan's gonna work?" And she's like, "Well, you didn't have me last time, did you?" And then. Rhodey speaks up. He's like, "Listen, lady, we're all superheroes here. We've been working on this for a while." The and scroll she was like, speaks up. <laughs> the, scroll. <laughs> the good guy scroll. Yeah. <laughs> but and then the other thing in the clip is that they reveal what their plan is, like how they're going to. They re- they reveal one that they're going to try to get Don't everybody stop. back. Don't even tell me. I don't even want to know. But I mean, it's out there, man. I think we we gotta know. I don't want to know. I personally, because we talked about when they released the last thing, how we were like, okay, you know, the second trailer they dropped was great. It was great. I would have been fine with that being the last trailer, mm-hmm. or the last thing we see. And you know, now with them putting on more and more stuff, I just I want them to stop. You know, yeah. let it let it sizzle. You already bought everybody. Everyone's going to see this movie. You don't need. There's no more um, possibly uh, everyone who's going to see this movie already wants to see this movie. And this is just, it's pouring more water on a glass full of water. That's what it is. And it feels like they're just giving too much. And like you said, it could, it, it's spoiling the movie to a point. If you already know, like you said, how they just addressed how they're going to do it. I don't want to know that going in. Um, I liked the first trailer and the second trailer, how they had the, how they showed nothing. Um, was significant. They showed a lot to get you pulled in, but they held back a lot. And it, from what they've been doing recently, they're starting to break down those barriers and stuff a little bit more than what I want to see out. Yeah, and you're starting to break down my eardrums with your choppy internet connection. <laughs> Man, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. That's y'all's <laughs> hint for the week. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Dang, you're tired of talking about Endgame, huh? Uh, Just like I think there's too much marketing for Endgame, I'm getting to the point where there's too much to talking talk. about Endgame. I just want to see it. Yeah, I get that. So, as uh, by your request, we will move on. And our next story is about uh, a continuation of what we talked about last week. The new Joker trailer dropped uh, last Wednesday. Um, and I kind of just want to bring it up to, to get your thoughts um, and kind of connect it to what we were talking about. Uh, you know, I kind of brought up the point of how they could kind of connect it to this idea of Anyone could be the Joker. And you didn't kind of like that. I thought it was kind of interesting. Seeing this uh, this trailer now, where do you think they're going to go with the story? And and did you like the trailer? Does it hype you up more for the movie? Where are you well, at with this thing? I mean, you would think that because you're a simpleton. But anyway, before I give my... <laughs> before I give my... Uh, <laughs> my... Um, my impressions. I want to hear what you thought of it. I, you know, I just, you know, I watched it when it came out and then I just watched it before this. And 
I really enjoyed it. Um, I I like how they're kind of teetering on the edge of of really dark, sinister R, and kind of more on on the edge of uh, R-rated PG thirteen. Um, it didn't feel overly sinister, and I liked that that kind of uh, balance they were having. Um, I liked how they're I like how they flesh him out in the beginning and his relationship with his with his mom. I guess that's who it was, um, and they kind of show things he went through in in becoming it. And the thing, it doesn't really feel like the Joker that we know. It feels like just a rogue clown for me. Um, And I I don't count that against it for some reason. I still enjoyed the trailer and I'm still going to see this movie. But as of now, I don't see it as a Joker who goes one-on-one with the Batman. I see it as a, a psycho clown who does who does terrible things. Um, that's my well, initial thoughts. He was what never going to be going. He was never going to be going up against Batman. Batman well, was never- that, but he never felt like um, like how I envisioned the Joker. And I knew you know we knew he wasn't going to be going up against the Batman in this, but I still kind of expected it to be to seem like he could have grown to that. And right now I don't see him as getting that. I just see him as some crazed lunatic um, who was bullied by society because of, because of his job and he just went crazy. I don't, I don't see him as someone who could eventually get up to some part to the level of the Joker who does um, like in Chris Nolan's films, who does these crazy, crazy heists and and turns everyone against each other and all that. I don't see. Well, look, um, I think people are are trying to connect this too much to the Dark Knight. They're trying to connect it too much to Heath Ledger. They want mm-hmm. they want to revisit the glory days of Batman. Yeah. And, and look, this trailer, I will give it its credit. The trailer. As far as like a standalone piece of marketing, the trailer was good. I will come out and say that. I think it's, I think the trailer itself is very entertaining to watch. It's really cool. And it gives me hope for uh, the cinematography in the movie. It gives me hope for Joaquin Phoenix's performance in the movie. But the criticism or the questions um, and the concerns that I had last week still stand after watching this trailer. I don't understand how this film is going to work when you have this one character who is just a guy and and we have an overabundance of backstory that we don't need showing how he becomes Joker. And I don't think there's anything to support the fact that, hey, this guy will eventually go on to face Batman. I don't think it's setting up a new universe. I don't think it's uh, showing that anybody can be the Joker. I don't think it's given this in-depth psychological examination. I don't think there's anything to to support that. I think it's only showing us this care this this backstory of how this guy became the Joker. And I, I after watching the trailer, I feel the same way. And I as as for a story, 
I don't know how that's going to work. And I still don't see how that's going to work. The glimpses in the trailer that they provided from a storytelling perspective, I don't see anything in there that gives me that gives me an understanding of how they're going to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. That said, I mean, it was a good trailer. Yeah, I to what you were saying about connecting it to Heath Ledger and the glory days, I get that. But it's it's really hard not to because when you look at I mean, people are gonna compare just like when they compared with what's his name who played solo, Alden Ehrenreich. Um I mean, looking back, his performance I thought was fine. I thought he did he did a good job with solo. Um when when he was, you know, picked to be solo, there was bad things said about him. I wasn't confident in him. At, you know, I was comparing him to Harrison Ford. He didn't look like, he didn't sound like him. Stuff like that. It There's a distinct difference, I think, though, in those two things. Harrison Ford has been the only person yeah, to portray yeah. on Solo. That. I was just about to say that. So, the next story we have is Netflix, the streaming giant, might and looks like it's going to be buying its first official theater. And that theater is the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. What does this mean for Netflix, Jason? But why? Why are they doing that? Why? But why? Why not? (laughs) Why not? Well, I'll tell you why I think they're doing it. So that they can play... So they could play their movies there, so that'll be considered a theatrical run. Yeah, I was just about to say that this is their kind of counter to uh, big Spielberg news that's been going on the past couple weeks and how he doesn't consider Netflix or streaming to be able to be considered for... um, those kind of award movies and those theatrical movies. And by doing this, they're kind of saying, you know what, Spielberg? We are theatrical. This is a theatrical movie because we play it in our theater. (laughs) And I mean, it's not like they're starting up a theater chain. It's going to be one theater in Hollywood. Mm. I mean... It is what it is. They're, they already screen things. I don't see it any different other than they don't have to, I mean, they don't have to pay to put it in a theater. They're, they just put it in their own. They're, That's, they're looking to appear as a legitimate yeah, studio. In my mind, I, I don't really, I don't really care. You know, then why'd you pick it as well, a news story? <laughs> because I wanted, to, I wanted, I wanted to bring this to life. We gotta expose like them. Just... We gotta expose them here on the movie. Yeah, I guess. I feel like I feel like they're just doing it to hush the critics of, oh, you guys aren't legitimate. Sure. And it's like. The majority thinks you are already. I mean, not many people are going to say that Roma shouldn't have been nominated. 
I mean, it was boring, but I see why it won cinematography. To me, it was boring, and it just wasn't for me. But they've made other great movies. You're never like, going to let it go with Roma, are you? No. But Mudbound, yeah. how they came out with that, that was a great movie, and that yeah. was getting award talk. It didn't. It, it, I mean, it wasn't winning as much as Roma had, but mm-hmm. you know, Netflix makes good movies. When they want to make a good movie, they can make a good um, award-winning movie. And they also make as, bad movies. Yeah, they also and make mediocre bad movies, movies. But so do studios. Sure. So that's just not fair to to say that, and it it just annoys me that they're they're appealing to the minority that hates them. Sure. So, with that being said, let's move on to the weekend box office. And as always, we will start at number five, and that is Captain Marvel, which uh, brought in $12.4 million this weekend. And number four was the... uh, Sophomore effort of Jordan Peele, us, that brought in thirteen point seven million. Um, and number three was Dumbo in its second week at eighteen million. At number two was the new release Pet Cemetery, that brought in twenty four point five million. And at number one, of course, is uh, the new DC release that we'll talk about later on, Shazam, bringing in fifty three point five million. Um, any numbers that surprise you? How much did Shazam make? 53. Shazam. Does that number seem kind of low to you? No. Why no. would it? I don't know. I envision Shazam kind of being a higher number. Kind of. I mean, it's not. Or something. It's not Aquaman. I know. It's, it's not a mainstream it was marketed as more of like an offbeat comedic yeah. type movie, and yeah. it doesn't really try to play up to its ties with the other the other films in the DCU or Worlds of DC or whatever they're calling it. Yeah, I mean, Fifty Three is still still a great a great weekend haul mm-hmm. um, for for any any movie. Really, unless you get these big $200 million budget movies. But with that being said, unless you don't have any other things to talk about with Shazam, I'm surprised that Pet Cemetery did so little. I thought that was going to be a bit higher considering <laughs> the reviews coming around it. I thought it'd be up there in the 30s, given that we saw us do so well. And that being a, a horror opening, I thought this horror opening being a remake of a beloved movie would have pulled in more. But I think the fact that it opened against Shazam is probably what knocked it down so sure. much. They might have cut into each other's a little bit. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery. I think it started out strong in the reviews, but I think it since dropped. Mm-hmm. Hasn't it? Isn't it like in the 60s now, I want to say, on Rotten Tomatoes? Um... I haven't checked recently. I can look. Oh, well, can you? Well, someone's got to keep talking while they look. So, how was your weekend? Pet Cemetery is down to 59. Don't answer that. Don't mention it? (laughs) I said don't answer that. I said how was your weekend? Anyways, down to 59. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it's dropped. Yeah, it looks like it's really tanked. Huh. Well, I mean, it is what it is. Shazam's going to keep making money. They're all going to keep making money. Shazam! Millions and millions. Get him! So now, nah. yes. What have you been watching? I've been watching War for the Planet of the Apes. This will conclude my uh, trilogy review of the reboot trilogy of the Planet of the Apes. Is that the variety. first one? Oh my! You knew I had to bring it back. The Franco one? Is it the Franco one? Hmm. I'm going to keep moving on. Um, and I'm going to ask that you just refrain from from keeping that up, please. You're no fun. I told you this is a business episode. This is a serious <laughs> episode. All right. Sorry, sir. So, War for the Planet of the Age came out in 2017. It is the third, and I, I'm hesitant to say final installment because there are rumors of a fourth one. Um, I don't know how legitimate they are and if there will be a fourth one. I'm up for a fourth one. But this and this review is kind of going to be as the trilogy as a whole um, because it was the last one they that they have made. And this trilogy, honestly, looking back on it, and I was hesitant to say this, but I I, I can confidently say it now. This is probably one of the best trilogies of all time in my book. Um, I mean, it's not up there with with you know classics like, like the Star Wars trilogy and you know other trilogies like that. I think it falls just below those, but it's still definitely on a top ten. Might even scratch the top five for me. But Ooh, that's a good for the, idea for a list, huh? That's a good idea for a list. Film trilogies. Ooh. 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 So, anyways, in War for the Planet of the Apes, it's basically, it takes off um, a little bit after Dawn. I don't remember the exact amount of time after Dawn, but at the end of Dawn, basically a war started between humanity and apes. And this war, we see this war has been going on, and the apes are holding their own, um, but the humans are starting to build up an army, and... They they kind of attack. They find out where the apes, their basically compound is, and they attack and they end up killing um, Caesar's wife and son. And um, basically, the rest of the movie is about Caesar hunting down this guy and these people that that killed his wife and son, and kind of getting revenge. And and then it it this movie is is a is is a dark. Um, complex, another dark complex sequel by Matt Reeves, and it, it does it very well. Um, 
it's not as good as Dawn and how it fleshes out um, the apes for you. I mean, you still feel for the apes and you still connect to them by the amazing mocap performances, you know, by Circus and, and others. Uh, but you don't identify as much with with multiple sides as, as Don gave you. There's really, you know, one side or the other. There's apes and humans, um, as opposed to when they had, you know, the side with Koba and, 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 and the sun and Caesar and the two humans. There was just so much in Don that wasn't in war. But war, I mean, if you had war alone, this this is still a uh, a great movie. It's it, it takes you on a, a, a great journey and, and it really wraps up the trilogy in an emotional way, but a great way that I couldn't have seen them do it any other way that would have hit as hard. Um, I'm not going to give out spoilers because it still is relatively new. I know a lot of people who haven't seen it who still want to see it, but I mean, this this deals with a whole a whole lot of issues of like slavery and war, um, and it does it in a way that that lets that lets us um, reach our own conclusions. It, you know, as I said, it, it lets you sympathize with the apes and kind of see the um, issues and failures um, in humans. And it, it just does it so well. Um, Woody Harrelson does does a great job. He doesn't have much in in um, in the movie, but for for what he's in, he, he does a great job. They they flesh out his character. You see his you see his side, but I mean, you don't like the way he goes about doing what he wants to do. Um, I mean, all in all, I mean, I would say this is better than Rise, the very first installment, just because the scope is a lot bigger, it, and it looks amazing. It, it is beautiful, even more beautiful than Dawn. Um, just some of the shots are just breathtaking in, in the scenery and, and the close-ups. I mean, with the mocap, and, and you look like you're, it looks like you're looking at, you know, real apes. And I don't know if how true it is, but I've heard that... Um, you know, they trained some apes for the background to, to do certain things um, to get to kind of increase the scope and the amount so they don't have to have so many mocap. But, you know, this movie just feels as big, if not bigger than Dawn. And, and the ending is, is so emotional and it, it, it's a great way to cap out the trilogy. I'm, I'd be completely okay if this is the end. Um, if it's not, I will continue to watch these movies uh, because, you know, they got it right as opposed to what was that? Those, what was it? Just one movie they did in the early 2000s with uh, mm-hmm. Matt Damon or Mark Wahlberg. Matt Damon. Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. That was awful. You know who did right. that movie? You know who did that movie? I realized after we talked about it. Who? Um,. And now I'm blanking on his name. The the director of Dumbo. Oh, oh, what's his name? Edward Scissorhands. Oh, what is his name? That's gonna bug me. Oh. Nightmare Before Christmas. He didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas, but he produced it. Um. 
Charlie and the Chocolate it's, Factory. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Man, these listeners are going to hate us. They're probably screaming it right now. Tim Burton. <laughs> that's what it is. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Yeah, that was the Planet of the Apes movie. The reboot with Mark Wahlberg that was directed by Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Was that maybe that was the start of his downfall? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but anyways, all in all, said like I said, probably it it, it would be on the top five um, of my favorite all time trilogies. So, and this is been um, one thing that I just that docks it for me is there's a certain character that's in here that is. It's just a dope, and he's just annoying throughout the whole thing, and he brings you out of it. Um, about halfway through the movie, you meet him, and he just brings me out of it, and that's the only reason this doesn't get a five, hmm. and this is going to get a really, really high density MP. I can't hear you because of your internet, but I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to say, yeah, we happy. Assumed correct. <laughs> so... so now that you've watched all three and you've kind of revisited them for the reviews here, how would you mm-hmm. rank them? Like, uh, um, would you go? Dawn like... is definitely the best. Okay. Um, then I would put War. Then I'd put Rise. I know a lot of okay. people put War as the least favorite, but and and I can they're they're really a tie for me. But I just like the feeling of a, a grand scope, big budget movie. And Rise was a much smaller um, startup thing. Uh, and compared to War, so that's why War puts it over. And okay. the fact that it tied everything up is uh, what puts it over Rise for me. But sure. John definitely is my favorite. Okay. So, uh, Jason. What? What you have been watching? I've been watching professional wrestling, more specifically WWE and NXT. So WWE had their big WrestleMania 35 this past weekend. Super Bowl. Their Super Bowl. Their Super Bowl. Yeah, that's correct. So I know we mainly talk about movies and TV shows, but wrestling can be cinematic in its own way. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, for me, I'm a big fan of professional wrestling. Pro Wrestling Network. I'm a big fan of pro wrestling, um, and so this is like a big event. So normally we wouldn't talk about this sort of stuff, but I figured it's WrestleMania. One, once, one time a year rolls around, so I figured it was worth talking about. So first of all, I wanted to touch on, on Friday night, the WWE had their show for NXT TakeOver New York. Uh, now NXT is kind of like the smaller developmental brand for the WWE but because they bring in so many indie stars, some great workers from around the world, uh, that show often ends up being better than what the main yeah, WWE it's turned into. It's kind of turned into an equivalent. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for me, it always stops it because it's a tighter package. It's a it's more intimate. Uh, it's it's better focused. The storylines are better, and so I always ultimately like. Takeover is better. I thought this year was no exception. Um, the they had they always have a tight five. Occasionally they'll stick a six match in there, but 
but usually it's just five matches. So they had the tag team match. Uh, the War Raiders defended their NXT uh, tag team championships against Alistair dumb. Black and Ricochet. Dumb. <laughs> it's dumb that they lost. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No. I see not. why. I see why because they're not they're gonna going to give it to, to someone. Them. Yeah, they're not going to give the titles to someone who's going to leave. Yeah, they're going up to the main roster now. So for me, uh, that's just fine. I figured the War Raiders were going to win. Uh, I like the War Raiders okay. I thought this was a really good match, but I'm excited to see them kind of step up and face some of the other teams uh, in NXT right now because, frankly, they haven't done that much since coming into NXT. Um, and I kind of want to see them step up their game. Uh, next up they have... For me, what was probably the most surprising match of the night, I think it might have been my favorite. It was the match for the NXT North American Championship. Velveteen Dream defended against uh, MMA uh, veteran Matt Riddle. Uh, and it started out as kind of like Velveteen, Velveteen Dream taking Riddle lightly. Riddle kind of goes off on him. He gets angrier and angrier throughout the match, but ultimately Velveteen retains by the skin of his teeth. Great match. Then they had the match for the NXT United Kingdom Championship. Volta took on Pete Dunne. And that was ended a good up, match. It was great. It was brutal. Um, lots of finger breaks, lots of chops. And uh, Volta took the championship off of uh, Pete Dunne. So what Pete was it, Dunne. Like- 390-something days he was. Oh, no, 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 no. It was like 635. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's almost two years. It would have been two years um, in, in, I think, July. It would have been two years. So huge reign. It's finally come to an end. Now Pete Dunne can go on to do bigger and better things. The women's title match, Shayna Baszler defended her championship. That was an okay dumb. match. It wasn't dumb. It was still a good match, but when you stacked it up against everything else on the it cards, it, was <laughs> it wasn't dumb. I loved me some Sky Pirates, so I can't say it's dumb. Bianca Belair, I like too. But Kyrie and then the main event, Kyrie Sane, she, she's a she's my spirit animal. She's so I'll, I'll always be on board Her for Kyrie. Or EO. Her or EO. Yeah, and then the main event, which was ultimately not the match we were supposed to get, but it was a great match nonetheless. Uh, Johnny Gargano taking on Adam Cole, baby, for the vacant NXT Championship. Uh, and Johnny Gargano finally completing this long story he's had in NXT where with he's Tommaso. kind of feuding with Tommaso Ciampa, the former NXT champion, uh, and Johnny would kind of get angry and angrier, and he would lean towards the dark side, eventually becoming a heel himself and teaming up with Ciampa, and then realizing the error of his ways and turning on Ciampa. But then Ciampa got injured, couldn't continue this feud, and so they had to wrap it up with... Adam Cole. Now, it was a good fill-in. I think Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era ultimately provided an opportunity for Johnny to bounce off a bunch of different guys and to really kind of overcome the odds. And so while I might have liked to have seen him actually beat Ciampa for the title, I think this was a good consolation. Ciampa and showed it was up. A great match. Yeah, that, that part uh, I didn't necessarily <laughs> like because they hugged afterwards because the last thing we saw was Gargano finally overcoming Ciampa and like overcoming all this, this, this entire feud and, and going, I'm not going to be your friend. And then just at the end, Ciampa comes out and is like, I'm proud of you. <laughs> so that was a little weird. 
But then the the big show, the big night, Sunday night, WrestleMania 35. WrestleMania from the outskirts, quote unquote, of New York. It's New Jersey. They were in New Jersey. Okay, they weren't in New York. But they always say they were in the shadow of New York. The shadow of New York. MetLife Center, according to Hulk Hogan. (laughs) What an idiot. (laughs) He did the joke where he said the Silver Dome, because he's made he's made that mistake before where he's called one place something else. And then he still messed it up. Then he literally messed it up. Ridiculous. Uh, I won't go into full depth on this card because fourteen freaking matches, seven hours. Buddy Murphy, no longer the Cruiserweight Championship. I didn't get the chance to watch that match. I missed that one. Um, and I don't really watch 205 Live. I know it's a good, supposed to be a good show, but it is a good show. you can only watch so much wrestling in a week. Uh, and then on the main show, they started things off with Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. Great match. Great match. It was a great match, but uh, it was a short, short match. It's to the point, basically, Brock just spammed suplexes. <laughs> Seth Rollins exploited his biggest weakness by hitting him in the genitalia and three curb stomps. Three curb stomps. He had one He had one hit to the groin, three curb mm-hmm. stomps. That was it. He won. That was, it. that was all he did in the entire match. Yeah. But it was effective. And I like the way they spread out the big field of moments. He's going to face Daniel Cormier. Maybe, maybe. I think he will. I think he might not be done with pro wrestling, but I think he might be done uh, for the time being. UFC two forty one in August. He's gonna face Daniel Cormier. I'm calling it. I think they did a good job tonight of like spacing out all the big babyface wins that everybody mm-hmm. wanted, which was Seth, Kofi, and Becky. But the thing uh, was, everyone was exhausted by the time that main event rolled on. Yeah, it was a really uh, obnoxiously long show. Um, other highlights from the show, uh, I really like seeing Cena come back as the doctor of thugonomics <laughs> and kind of having a little wrap off with Elias. And if you needed any more hint to see that the, the WWE PG era is dead and gone, this was a good example of it because mm-hmm. he got pretty vulgar in front of everybody. Uh, the women's tag team match finally, we have. Dumb. Iconic, so with the iconic champions. Yeah, so did you go to journalism for that? Yeah. Oh man, so dumb. You gotta be kidding me! The iconics, new champs. Okay, that was great. Um, what else from the night? Of course, Kofi's big moment. Finally, taking on Daniel Bryan and overcoming the odds. First time in eleven years. That was the feel-good moment of the night. I got to admit, I'm not mad with the placement only from the standpoint that if it had gone on last, I would have been exhausted. Like, this was the best place that it could have been for me to have have been as happy as I was. It should have ended the night. There shouldn't have been any more, though. It should have ended the matches. Yeah, that's true. It should have ended the night, but WrestleMania shouldn't be seven hours long. If that was like, if, if that, at that point in the show, if that was the last match. And for one, I mean, they have a two-hour pre-show when they did, what, four matches? Four matches, yep. And then they talk for another hour, hour, when they could have done more and shortened the main card. And sure. I don't, I don't get it. You had AJ Randy. That was an okay match. They wrestled before. You Both had... 
both hurt. Yeah, um, a match I really liked actually, which was Miz versus uh, mm-hmm. Shane McMahon. I was surprised by how much I liked that match. I didn't like it at the start when his dad came out, and then yeah, and then they started getting outside of the outside. Of the I was just I was laughing hysterically when Shane was like beating up on his dad. Mm-hmm. Like that was just all so funny to me. Like when he runs out and's like, "Don't hurt my son," mm-hmm. and then Shane just starts stomping him out. Mm-hmm. That stuff was all funny. But then when they started, yeah, when they started going out in the crowd. And then, of course, the big bump off the top of the scaffolding. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Shane won. Shane won. And then you had Triple H versus Dave Batista. That was an okay match. I liked the too beginning long. of it. It was too long. It was the longest match of the night. Triple H always has the longest match of the night. The entrances were too much. Triple H always has ex- exuberant entrances. I think he just goes over the top and he takes up too much time. I think they should have cut that match a lot sooner. There were way too many periods where they weren't doing anything. But all in all, it was a lot better than I feared it was going to be. So, And then Triple H ended up getting the win. Honestly, man, I've, I've seen enough Triple H. Dumb. I could go lost. without ever seeing another Triple H match ever again. That would have been but, a good opponent to end his career, too. Yeah, yeah. And then you had Roman overcoming the odds, finally coming back from leukemia. It was a people raw were match. worn out. People, yep, people were worn out by this point. The demon coming out—that was cool, but that was a raw match. <laughs> that was a raw match. Uh, Samoa Joe winning in a few seconds—that like that was a SmackDown match. I like that. They finally, I didn't think they, we needed to have it. They finally made him seem like what they've intended to make him look like. He looks like a literal monster. Ray makes one mistake and sure. chokes him out. Okay, I can see that, but like, I mean, you could have done that on SmackDown. You didn't need to put that on WrestleMania. Sure. Um, what else on this show? The the dance break was stupid. All the little skits were dumb. I hated all that stuff, except for the John Cena and Elias thing. And Elias playing with himself—that was actually kind of fun. Yeah. Um, the main event, it was. At the end of the night, it had gone on too long. It was too exhausting. Everybody was worn out by this point. The women did a good job, I think, of kind of like having a coherent match that was entertaining to watch. But there were a lot of botches in the match. Mm-hmm. The table didn't break. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the the finish was just so deflating where it was it, i don't know if it was a botch or if they were trying to make it seem like Ronda was dominant so she didn't get pinned but her shoulders were up after the count of 1 and the ref still kept counting if this was a botch it was on the ref cuz all he had to do was stop counting and then restart the count that's all he had to do but why didn't they have Becky Lynch after all this make one of them tap if they want to keep Ronda strong have Charlotte tap Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't be the first time Charlotte's tapped out. I mean, I think they really missed their chance to kind of capitalize on this big women's first time ever women's main event. Um, but that said, I'm happy that Becky won. I mean, you got to take what you can get. We can only get so many great, amazing moments. The Kofi moment was definitely the moment of the weekend. So it, all in all, you had the, all three baby faces win. The problem with WrestleMania is that it's just too much. It gets bigger and bigger every year. It gets longer and longer. They stick more about, and more people in this thing. You didn't talk about Baron Corbin, Kurt Angle. 
Um, and that's about as much as it deserves is not getting talked about. I I like Kurt Angle, but man, he should have retired a long time ago. He won. He should have retired. He look actually didn't look that bad in this no, match. He I looks better like, than he has been in the past couple of weeks. You could tell he was really savoring it. Yeah. Um. And but then like they were playing up to the fact that nobody wanted this, and mm-hmm. Baron Corbin was doing the "You can't see me." Yeah. Uh, and then he just won with one. At least have Kurt win if you're gonna have this stupid match. I know why they did it. It's to give Baron Corbin the rub to be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, I retired Kurt Angle," but it's dumb. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all in all, I think because they stuff so much stuff in here, and ultimately detracts from the fact that hey, we got three huge wins that we wanted to get. They need to cut this show in half, and if they cut the yeah. show in half, it would have been a better show. But all in all. I got the things I wanted to get. I was super – the Kofi moment was almost worth the price of admission. Mm. That was like a super emotional moment, getting to see him win, getting to see the New Day celebrate together. So, I mean, all in all, I can't complain. It, it's hard to rate a wrestling show because there's so many variables. But I think I would give it a, a maybe a low Vincent, we happy? Yeah, we happy. Yeah, we happy. Yeah. I mean, quantity does not always equal quality. So, yep. They jam. They jam too much in there, man. WrestleMania used to be a much tighter, shorter pay per view, but as the years go on, the roster keeps getting bigger and bigger. They want to make sure everybody gets a payday, so everybody gets jammed in here, and then you have a car that's seven hours long. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna try. I might try to go next year. It's gonna be in Tampa. Uh, I've never been to an actual WrestleMania. I've been to other live events, pay-per-views, but I've never been to a WrestleMania. Really? Um, yeah. But, like, the one thing is, like, can I really sit in a stadium for seven hours longer? Because you got to get there earlier, stay mm-hmm. longer to get out of there. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. That's that's a, that's a long time to be in a stadium. The ultimate experience would be like to be in the press box. To be in Raymond James Stadium for eight hours in Tampa heat. Hopefully, hopefully Kyrie Sane makes her entrance on the pirate ship. (laughs) It might, it probably will happen. They'll they'll utilize it. They'll utilize I think they took out the pirate ship there. Oh man, did they? Yeah. I'm sure they'll put one in there though. She's still got to do her pirate entrance somehow, yeah. some way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they got the pirate ship out of there for some reason. Do they still got the cannons? Yeah, they still they shoot they still shoot cannons when like hmm. when the Bucks score or something. But yeah, I don't think they have that. I might be wrong. Hmm. I hope I'm wrong because that thing is yeah. awesome. But one, two. Manipulation. Hyperspeed. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. 
is Captain Sparklefingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Shazam is a 2019 superhero film based on the DC Comics character of the same name. This uh, film was produced by New Line Cinema and distributed by Warner Brothers Picture. It's the uh, it's the seventh movie in the DC Extended Universe, directed by David F. Stan Sam Sandberg. This stars Asher Angel, Zachary Levi, Mark Strong, and Jack Dylan Grazer. Jason, what did you think of Shazam! Exclamation point. Meh. Meh. Tune in next week, guys, when we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was meh! Exclamation point. It was, there are parts of the movie that I really like, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff is the stuff that I thought I'd like from the trailers. But there just isn't enough of it. And there are other problems that I have with the movie that detract from it overall. And it doesn't really explore the stuff that I I wanted the film to explore. Um, And that mainly being the exploration of uh, a kid in an adult's body with superpowers. All that stuff is great. So all the stuff with Zachary Levi and Zachary Levi is very good in the film. He's very fun. He, He you can tell he's having a lot of fun. With this role. So he pulls uh, off being. Yeah. He pulls off being a kid well. He doesn't pull off being. And this may be more on the kid. Than it is on Zachary Levi. He doesn't pull off being. Billy Matson well. And that I'm talking about the actor playing Billy Matson. I think that's Asher Angel. Mm-hmm. That kid isn't that great. He's not very dynamic. And granted. You you're more invested in Zachary Levi's performance than you are this kid's. Although they do some interesting stuff with the kid's story. Um, But I thought that Zachary Levi was a way more dynamic performance. He acted more like a kid than the kid did. Uh, Zachary Levi's having way more fun. Of course, I mean, I guess I would be too if I got to be the superhero and not the moody kid all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, man, the, the exploration of that stuff with him and and his foster brother and them finding out how the, you, they got superpowers, all that stuff is a blast. But not everything else in the movie works as well as that, and the movie doesn't focus on that as much as I'd like it to. So to, so to kind of give a quick synopsis of the plot before you start asking questions, uh, basically this, the movie opens up on uh, the main villain of the story, played by... Roderick, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the main villain of the story, basically, it's a flashback scene where he's a kid. Uh, sh- the wizard Shazam pulls him into his dimension, and he's looking for a worthy person to fight off these demons. And the kid isn't worthy. And so he gets tossed back into his crappy life with his crappy family, and then the movie fast-forwards. All that stuff is great, man. It's The intro in this movie is fantastic, but the film doesn't follow through on that stuff, and so there's there are weak parts there. And then Digimon Hansu, he's good, but his his makeup and his costume is horrible. Like It looks like a bad Halloween wig that he's wearing. Now, I, I haven't seen anybody anywhere talk about this, but he looks ridiculous. Most of the costume in this stuff, in this movie aren't that great. Like the superhero costume, Zachary Levi looks like he's in a lumpy muscle suit some of the times. 
But, I mean, you don't notice it on him. But Digimon Hansu, man, it's like looking at a bad Halloween costume. Like a cheap, you go to, like, a dollar store and buy a Halloween costume. That's how bad it looks. Um, but then you you jump forward in time to Billy Batson's story. Billy Batson is a orphan. He lost his mother at a carnival at a very young age. And he's been hopping from foster home to foster home. He's trying to find her, but he acts out. And so finally, he, he moves in with this, this very nice foster family of very diverse kids so that you could have a movie with a very diverse cast for no reason. There's an Asian kid. There's a uh, Hispanic kid. There's a, a little African-American kid. It's, it, it's diverse for the sake of being diverse without fleshing out any of those characters. Uh, but basically, he moves in with his family. He he starts to bond a little bit with the foster brother, the disabled kid, Freddy. And then he stands up for Freddy at school one day when these bullies hit him with his car, with their car, when they run him over. <laughs> and so he stands up for Freddy, runs away, and basically Shazam, the wizard, pulls him and he's like, look. I've been looking for a hero for years and years and years. I can't find nobody. You're going to have to do. Take my powers. <laughs> <laughs> and so he becomes a hero. And for the majority of this movie, he is just like a kid with superpowers, which I mean is what you'd expect to happen if you were a kid that got superpowers. He's having fun mm-hmm. with it. He's, he's trying to make money. He's on social media. He's doing all that stuff. And all that stuff is great. Uh, it's when the movie starts to get into more serious comic book fare that it starts to have problems. So, looking at looking at um, this right now, it has a ninety-one on Rotten Tomatoes, so that would mm-hmm. kind of suggest it's the best DCEU movie that we have. Do you agree with it being the best DC movie we had? Do you think it's another step in the right direction? I know a lot of people say that Aquaman is a step in the right direction. Do you think this is another step um, in that direction? I think Aquaman might be the only DC movie I have not seen. Because mm-hmm. I've seen Man of Steel. I've yeah. seen Batman vs. Superman. I've seen Wonder Woman. I've seen Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. I've seen Justice League. And mm-hmm. I've seen this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Aquaman is the only one I haven't seen. So I can't speak to Aquaman. Mm-hmm. But previously, I thought Wonder Woman was the best DCEU movie. And you still had mixed feelings on that. I have a lot of problems with Wonder Woman. There are a lot of issues with that as a film. Uh, major plot holes, the characters acting dumb, the third act falls apart. Um, but when you compare it against the rest of the DCEU's filmography, it was definitely the best. This movie supplants that for me. So Shazam is now, I think, for for me, for my personal taste, I think it's the best film in the overall franchise because it you can tell DC knows it's been making mistakes and it's trying to do things to correct them even if it overcompensates in parts and even if they don't always know how to be different than a Zack Snyder movie so, but you can tell they are making those adjustments as needed so you don't think it earns that 91% on Rotten Tomatoes? It's, it's definitely not a 91%. And I'll give you my rating here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but again, this is another thing where people are like over, over ranking. I've noticed that a lot, this probably primarily since we've started the podcast. Yeah. But like people just over ranking films on Rotten Tomatoes and the hype just 
everything getting swept up in the hype. And what you'll usually see is that when a film is film, uh, like, cause this movie came, it didn't come out early, but it was, um, screened for people early, like weeks early. Mm-hmm. And the reviews following that screening were great. And then as the movie has come out to wide release, more level-headed reviews have started to come out. And I think that's a big problem on the, on the whole in the movie industry when it comes to these big-budget blockbusters where mm-hmm. everybody just gets sweeped up in the hype of it. Same thing happened with Captain Marvel. That film is grossly overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's the same thing here. Not to say that there aren't things to look to be excited about in this movie and there are reasons for people to be excited about it. But, I mean, you have to acknowledge the problems that this movie has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I took a look at David F. Sandberg's kind of history. And mm-hmm. he, he he's typically, he's mainly a horror director. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he directed films like Annabelle Creation. Um, so, what was your opinion on him? Because, you know, they brought in James Wan and did Aquaman. And he, of course, um, you know, he did Saw. Uh, and names you know he did conjuring insidious you know other horror movies so i guess you yeah but he's also kind of done he's also done community yeah. and he's mm-hmm. also done fast and furious so he mm-hmm. has experience with like pro- other properties lighthearted mm-hmm. properties action properties uh david f sandberg you can tell he comes from horror here the whole film mm-hmm. while the script i think is 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 competent in parts i think the the way he presents his stuff is it, his direction is fighting against the fun of the script and he he presents things much more in a much more dour way than this film could have been i think in the hands of somebody like if this was like a 80 spielberg movie with this script i think it would have been much better it would have been even if the, even if you had like say J.J. Abrams take care of this, mm-hmm. or I mean, it'd been really great to see someone like Edgar Wright come in with a vision who has like yeah. that great comedic timing. But the horror sensibilities of this movie, kind of, and the way that it's shot and the color palette, all all drag it down. I will say something about this movie that hasn't been in the marketing. If you don't want to hear it, okay, turn, tune out now. But believe me, this happens in like the first two minutes of the movie. So it's not like I'm giving you a, a – believe me, it happens <laughs> in like the first two minutes of the movie. It's not a big spoiler. So the villain of the movie, when he's a kid, he goes to the Shazam dimension. And Shazam is like, you got to prove that you're worthy because I have – these demons locked up in my cave when I'm the only person here. And these, I got to make sure these nothing happens to these demons. And the kid's like getting seduced by the demons talking to him in his head. And then when he comes back, he's like, I don't want your power, Shazam. I want the power of these demons. And so he gets the, he releases the demons and the demons go on him. And the demons are the seven deadly sins. These demons... They are they are both horrific. Like in a family friendly movie, it's like frightening the stuff they do with these creatures. Um, so, like for instance, there's a scene where the villain shows up at an office, and it's pretty much his office. He owns the company, mm-hmm. and the the setups that you had in that first scene that I talked about, where it's like, oh, it, it, this could have been cool. It would have been it would have given an explanation for his character. 
in in this scene, the first scene following what happens, it completely tosses all that story out the window. Literally, it tosses it out the window. And, and this is the first scene where he's like, uh, let me show you the power of my demons. And these seven grotesque, horrific creature, nightmare-inducing creatures, no kid should watch this, <laughs> come oh. out and, and, like, tear apart a boardroom of people. You know that scene in Spider-Man 2 where uh, Doc Ock is in the surgery room and the arms are, like, attacking the surgeons? Yeah. This is way scarier than that. Wow. Yeah, like, people are getting thrown up against the glass and getting getting torn apart i remember seeing that as a little as a wee lad and getting scared at that and i tried to cover your little baby eyes and you pushed my hand away yeah there's there's your second clue for the week oh dang we're giving away a lot of clues this week huh uh if you have figured out what's going on mail your answer in the p.o box (laughs) (laughs) that we don't have (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's a there are like multiple horrific horrific deaths in this film, but then the other thing with these creatures is that they look horrible. Not from like they're scary, but like they're CG, and the CG in this movie is trash. It's like early two thousands TV CG. Mm. That's how bad it looks. Like I don't know if DC was like spend all the money on. <laughs> Well, I don't know what they spent the money on because the costumes don't look good either. The sets don't look good. Maybe they said spend all the money on the script. But yeah, like the CG in this movie is not good. A lot of the production values of this movie, I again, I haven't seen Aquaman, but it doesn't feel like this is even in the same, this is from the same studio. Maybe they, maybe th- they thought this was going to be a smaller release and that's why they did it that way. Yeah, may, maybe. So, my kind of last overall question would be, given you said it was the best um, DC film you, mm-hmm. you asked, do you think that this is kind of the tone DC should run with um, in, you know, how they make the universe, or do you think they should... And oh, one more. How connected is this to the rest? Is it is it more of a standalone thing? There are there are some references to the other DC movies. Like uh-huh. uh, you see this in the trailer. Like Freddy is a big fan of Superman and Batman, and he has memorabilia. Um, and there is like one joke at the very very end of this movie that is a um, that is majorly connected to the other films, but that's pretty much it. Hmm. Um, it. It does really act as a standalone movie, and I was happy about that, and I'm glad for it. But you can, I mean, you can tell it's still <clears throat> within the universe. But I think they really needed to kind of plant this as, look, is its own movie. We know Justice League was bad. We know our our team up movies are bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're not abandoning this universe, but also, look, we can give you something contained. Uh, this is not like a Captain Marvel or anything where it's chock full of references. It's it's very much a standalone thing. So, would you say that this is a, a success in in terms of how the DCEU should 
should look from from now on. You think these next movies like the Suicide Squad, they should keep it disconnected. Um, have very limited amount of references, and I mean, not even the thought of a team up movie come across developers' minds. I think they have to. There's there's gonna have to be major things that they do to to if they want to keep this universe, they're gonna have to make some major adjustments. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be like like a five year plan they're gonna have to come up with. But as for right now, if they want to make sure that this thing still exists, that people are still going to see their movies, they do need to put out more standalone films like this. Uh, I think um, the next good steps are having James Gunn revamp Suicide Squad and having 1984 Wonder Woman. Now, the original Wonder Woman uh, did have a lot more tie-ins to the to like building from Donna Justice and into Justice League. Mm -hmm. I think 1984, because it's a sequel to the original Wonder Woman, has a lot more opportunity to set it alone as its own film. And I I do hope they do that. I think it's an interesting concept, kind of moving Wonder Woman forward in time that much. And I'm excited to kind of see what they're wanting to do with that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they need to make these self-contained movies. Now, they don't need to necessarily make movies... Just like this, because like I said, I have a lot of issues with this mm-hmm. film. Um, but I think there there are a lot of things they do right with this film. Like I said, Zachary Levi is great. His chemistry with the, the kid who plays Freddy, awesome. All this all the stuff they do where they're having fun together, great. Uh, even the stuff they do where they kind of have, they tell Billy Batson's story from the beginning to where he lost his mom to kind of where that ends up and how it helps him learn to be this hero. I think that stuff is handled very deftly and I was surprised by how well they managed that. Um, but beyond like kind of his story, the people surrounding him were never really all that fleshed out. Uh, Freddie, like arbitrarily in the middle of the movie, he's going along with him throughout this whole film. And then arbitrarily he's like, you know what? You're being a jerk. And it makes no sense. Like, why are you turning on him all of a sudden? All the family members in this foster family, none of them are fleshed out. They're all just there, and they're all there to set up. Like You can tell they're there to set up like a sequel. Mm. The foster parents are the only ones there who have a little bit of backstory, and the foster mom's really pretty. She's really attractive, so that was super distracting. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the rest of them, they have no reason to be there. They're like very... There's like very minimal effort, and I got. Ugh, I didn't want to bring this up, but I hate the Asian kid in this movie so much. No other character in this film is a stereotype, but this little stupid Asian kid, for some reason, had to be the stereotype. When you first meet him, <laughs> when you first meet this character. He's like he's yelling at kids online and playing online video games, and he's like threatening other kids online. And then later on, he the kid they like have to hack into something, and this kid's like, uh, "How do you know how to hack?" He's like, "Well, I'm not a hacker, but I play video games, and so I was able to hack into the government database." And it's like, "What are mm. you talking about?" It's mm. it, it's two D of the most two D, and right. so when they set up. They set up this twist at the end of the movie with these characters, and it's like you—you you did. It's a cute twist, but you did nothing to earn it. 
Mm. And so that was that was another problem I had with it. So, but I mean, go ahead. One one more question. Sure. Before you kind of give your score of it, so you know, in Indiana Jones, the second one, um, Temple of Doom, when there's that that little Asian kid. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. He's not talking with a weird, a horrible accent or yeah, anything like that. I love that kid. I love that kid <sighs> so much. No, it's not Goonies bad, but I mean, it's it's also not good. Like his only character traits are that he plays video games. He said, "I learned how to hack from playing Watch Dogs." Uh, I've played Watch Dogs. You cannot learn how to hack from playing Watch Dogs. <laughs> you press square and it, it doesn't. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's Man. so annoying. Watch Dogs sucked. Uh, I know where uh, most of this review has been me kind of harping on the film, but I think. The central conceit is so good. It's so entertaining. And Zachary Levi does such a good job in the movie that it it keeps the movie from kind of being a disaster. And I think the director needed to do a better job of leaning into that as opposed to letting the script do all the heavy lifting. Um, So, I mean, overall, it's it's worth a watch. It's not going to be something I probably revisit at all. But I'd like to see, like, if they if they move this to a different director for the sequel, I'd like to see how that, they handle it. The trailer does the trailers and the marketing do a much better job of conveying this as like a fun, happy, go lucky movie than it actually is. Those songs that are in the trailers, they're nowhere in the movie. There's like oh, one right. cool, yeah. There's like one cool song cue. It's a Queen song that pops up, and that was pretty cool. But like, there's no Eminem. There's no Kendrick Lamar. I don't know why those songs are in the trailers because they're not in the movie. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, what's your what's your final verdict? What's your final score? So I have to rank it kind of right in the middle of the road because while it does so many bad things, that I, that central conceit is a lot of fun, and all those scenes with Zachary Levi and as uh, Shazam, which. Another thing I'll touch on, they never say, like, the only person that ever says Shazam in this movie are the wizard and Billy Batson when he wants to transform. They don't actually have a name for the superhero. They call him a bunch of different stuff, like Captain Sparklefingers and Red Rocket. and Because <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> he can't tell people his name is Shazam or he'll turn into a little kid in front of them. <laughs> but uh, because that stuff is is so much fun to watch and it's pops off screen. I think I do have to go right in the middle of the road. Uh, it is a like tears and rain. Well, uh, interesting. Interesting review. Um, I definitely want to go see it uh, eventually. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not something where it's like go see it in theaters, but when it comes out on uh-huh. streaming, it, it I wouldn't I wouldn't get this on Blu-ray because I can't imagine it would look very good. Um, the lightning shots when he like shoots lightning out of his hands or like when he turns into Shazam, that may look good for special highlights. highlights. <laughs> but it, the movie is just so dark and muddied and yeah drained I, of life that I think that's uh, 
a testament to old David F. Sandberg and his horror background. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's almost certainly is. Yeah. Well, um, interesting. Uh, I think yeah. I definitely have a better understanding of what that is. That's just kind of weird how, like you said, how lighthearted I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't. Yeah, it's not really that. Yeah, there's parts of it that are super serious, like dramatic, and there are parts that are like horrifying. Mm-hmm. And the fun parts are the best part of the movie, but they just don't make up that much of the running time. Unfortunately, like when he gets from when he gets the powers to when which takes a little while into the movie before he gets the powers to when he and Freddy have the falling out. All that stuff is great. But I mean, the Freddy stuff happens in the third act. And so then the rest of the movie is about him like coping with the fallout of of his powers and not exploring the fun side of it. So the movie should have done more of that and less of like, oh, how dour it is to be a superhero when you're a kid. All right. Well, that was our review in the film Shazam. Uh, so over the course of the next few weeks, we have uh, three episodes coming up. Next week is going to be our first ever movie swap. Noah, do you know what movie you're going to give me yet? Yeah, I already know. You already know it too. <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. Uh, and then on the week after that, we will be doing our first edition of Favorite Movie where we have a guest on to talk about their favorite movie. And then, wow, man, it's only three weeks away. Man. Avengers Endgame. It's the big one. Now. I think in Duluth will probably be good to go on the weekend. I, I mean, I'm sure Thursday's probably sold out. Mm-hmm. I doubt I doubt even Friday sold out. Really? Yeah. I, people don't really buy their tickets that early in Duluth. People, but like you got the the super nerds who go on midnight, but yeah. you don't have seven, you don't have people on Friday. Seven. Yeah, I think if we bought our tickets Friday during the day, it would be fine. Yeah. Duluth is not a big movie going town. It's a big blockbuster town, though. It's a big blockbuster town, sure, but not to the degree where people I think were buying their tickets ahead of time. Yeah. But, the, yep, May 1st, guys, that's the big one. We'll be reviewing Avengers Endgame. So look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us, like, comment, subscribe on the platform of your choice, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, Overcast. We are everywhere. Until then, guys, thanks for joining us and come movie hunt with us. Just get internet. Just get it. Just plug it in. Just plug it in. Just plug it into the internet.